This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Bartholomew Town is brought to you in part by the University of Rhode Island Online. Visit uri.edu slash online. So there's been a lot of buzz over the last couple of weeks, really, about the new shark license plate here in Rhode Island, and especially after some negative reaction to our, I guess, general general license plate that came out earlier this year or last year, whatever it was, the Atlantic Shark Institute license plate, uh, it's really fun. It's it's actually a really beautiful image, and I'm looking at it right now. It's available for passenger and combination and commercial and motorcycle versions of the plate, and um, I guess just Google Rhode Island shark license plate, and you'll get whatever you need for that, or go to the D- DMV or whatever it takes to get that uh, updated. And what caught my attention was that um, Brian Raymond is the person that took the photo of the shark that appears on the license plate. Brian is a former commercial fisherman, is the co-founder of Rhode Island Shark Diving, and over the course of a decade of fishing, kind of gained the skills that made him uniquely suited for a new life on the water, working as a captain on a shark photography and research vessel. And this is sort of an opportunity to combine multiple passions when it comes to diving and filming sharks, his work has been seen on the Discovery Channel along, of course, with the license plate. And the best part is that I've known Brian and we've known each other since like sixth grade because we are both Charaho alum and it's been a couple of decades since we spoke. But thanks for hopping on the podcast this morning, sir. Hey, uh, honestly, it's great to be here, Bill, and it's it's great to see you again. And um <clears throat> like you said, it, it's got a great response uh, to the plate, and, and we're excited about it. So take us through your own journey in terms of commercial fishermen. How did you end up in a scenario where you know, you've know you basically become part artist, part scientist, part entertainer, I guess, with you know from a tour standpoint, and now you've, you've got your image uh, featured. It'll be something that, that Rhode Islanders enjoy for decades to come, let's hope. Yeah, I hope so. So my story is kind of a unique one. You know, I grew up in a fishing family here in Rhode Island. My uncle owned a dragger out of Point Judith. My dad worked on it. So I spent my summers as a kid really just like on this ocean adventure with with my family, you know, um, and it was amazing. It was it was summertime. And, you know, it was always like, what are we going to see next? What amazing creatures are going to come up in the in the net? It was really a lot of discovery and you know, it, it was awesome. And then after uh, after high school, I went fishing for real uh, as a commercial fisherman offshore. And I found that the reality was much different than what I remembered as a kid. Um, it's a hard job and it requires a full time commitment. And there was there there's a lot of reward to it, but it, it also is a lot of sacrifice. And um, uh, unfortunately, I was injured while I was working on the boat, and while I was uh, recovering from that, I, I had a friend of mine who was a diver and a photographer, and he was like, "You got to come out and you got to see this shark thing. I know you're going to love it." And uh, I had never really had time because of the commitment that the boat requires, and uh, I was like, "You know what? I'll, I'll go." I, you know, sure. And it was amazing. I loved it. Uh, I didn't get to go in the water because I was still recovering from a surgery. My hand was in a cast, but. Um, just to, to see the sharks up close and, and to see um, people interacting with them in, in a safe way. And it, it, it ignited so much of that passion and, and excitement from when I was a kid. And I was like, wow, 
this is why I want to be on the water. It's, it's not fishing. It's stuff like this. So the following year when I recovered, I went out with uh, my buddy and we, we started filming. And like you said, because of um, the unique meshing of skill sets, really, like my fishing background and his, his background as a diver and a photographer, we, we really did a, a great job. Like right off the bat, we started filming Mako sharks for the first time ever. Like prior to 2010, most people considered mako sharks like uh, like an undivable shark. It was kind of crazy and dangerous, and there was some footage of it, but there was really no one going out and interacting with makos on purpose. And um, we had great success at it, you know, like right away. And that led to forming Rhode Island Shark Diving in 2010, and some of the opportunities with Shark Week and all that kind of stuff and, and, you know, also led to the interactions with the Institute and, and, you know, eventually the, the plate that it's going to be on sounds like over 7,000 vehicles now. So, and so when you say you went out and, and dove and saw sharks, are these all waters off the coast of Rhode Island or what sort of the, the territory that you covered? Uh, yeah, so we, we, we leave out of Narragansett and, uh, we're heading far offshore. So that's one of the first questions we get from everybody. They're like right here, right at the beach. It's like, well, there are sharks around coastally, but the ones we're dealing with are, are pelagic species, so they're they're further offshore. We're usually 20 or 30 miles offshore. Gets us a little bit cleaner water to work with, and then also, you know, we're far away from any of the, you know, the beaches or anything where there could be any type of an interaction that would be negative. Obviously, nobody would ever want that, right. you know, like, obviously, you, chumming near shore, near beaches and stuff like that is irresponsible. You know, everybody knows that. Sure. So, so you're 20, 30 miles offshore off the coast of Rhode Island. And look, there's been some renewed shark conversation. I mean, it happens every summer, but there were some attacks off of Long Island and all of a sudden that you right. get that sort of, uh, I don't want to say negative storyline, but it is kind of negative. If someone gets bitten by a shark, but right. so, so talk about what you, what you've seen in, in terms of the, the shark population that does in fact live, whether it's 20, 30 miles offshore or even closer to shore, you know, what's the real story on the ground when it comes to uh, when it comes to sharks in Rhode Island? Well, the real story on sharks in Rhode Island is is that it's a shark hotspot in the summertime. So uh, everything here is very seasonal because the weather change is so extreme. But in the summertime, you have this really um, like blooming of plankton, which is what gives us our green water. And that also brings in tons of smaller fish and filter feeders. And behind them comes a predator. So here in the summertime, we see a lot of these larger sharks, blue sharks, makos, threshers, even great whites that all move in and through our area uh, through the spring and summer and even into the fall. So there are there's a lot of sharks here. They're they're here uh, in huge numbers. Like it, it's it's a feeding aggregate site, so they you you have a lot of sharks bunched up to feed, and then you also have some of the larger predators like your white sharks and your makos who are giving birth here. So, you know, they're, they're uh, having their young in these really rich, abundant waters in the summertime. That way they can, you know, spend their first few uh, months of life feeding before, you know, the winter comes and life in the ocean gets even harder than I'm sure it is every day anyway. Right. And so it's just, that's just the reality of, of, of our ecosystem here. And for the most part, these are benign interactions, if any interaction. I mean, we haven't had a shark attack in Rhode Island in... I don't know, since the 1800s. So do you think that this conversation by and large is framed the right way? In other words, with the license plate being out there and, and the work that you've done, do you think it's time to change the conversation around sharks 
as instead of having either a sort of a, a fear mongering element, more of a curiosity and, hey, this is a part of the ecosystem that we live in. Is it right? We, should we be thinking about sharks differently right now? Well, not only are they part of the ecosystem, they're an essential part. You know, they, they keep balance. They, they take out the, the weak and the sick animals. So something like a mako shark, which is the shark that's featured on the plate, they, they don't they don't uh, scavenge dead carcasses. They only live hunt, you know. So they're the ones who are keeping the populations of tuna and swordfish healthy by by uh, eliminating the weaker and the sick, and, and, and which is the natural order of life. But when you when you continuously remove those slow-growing predators, sometimes the balance of things can get off, and that can have a ripple effect, not just for the sharks, but for other species also. What about the... The, the notion that your own work is going to be featured on this license plate, it's actually a really profound public art installation, if you think about it that way. When did you take that photo and what's it like to be, you know, have your work displayed in that kind of manner? Right. Uh, so I originally took the photo in 2019, I believe. So it was a couple of year process, actually, to get the plate approved, which I, I was only on the creative side. I didn't have to do any of the administrative stuff. There was no meeting and dealing with the DMV and stuff. I didn't. Luckily, I didn't have to do any of those things. But yeah, I, I took the photo in 2019. And then I worked with the artist who did the, the actual painting for the rendering for the plate. And um, yeah, it's really rewarding, you know, and to have something like this come around. So when when the Institute first formed, uh, we kind of brainstormed some different ideas. And one of the things that, that I brought up was doing a plate um, similar to Massachusetts. And it kind of got shelved for a little while. And because when you're, st you know, they, they, had a, they had a lot to do, right? And uh, so eventually, a couple years later, we finally got into the process of doing it. And um, like I said, it did take a little while to get approved. But yeah, it, it, it's great. And to think that you're going to see uh, your image potentially all over the place because it is a small state and you would, I, I don't know exactly the distribution, but I would imagine that a lot of those plates are here in South County area, which is where I live. And um, yeah, it's going to be awesome to see them around and maybe they'll, maybe they'll take off. I, I you know, you always hope that maybe they'll uh, like it better than the old wave plate and they'll, they'll make it the permanent. Plate. There you go. I think it's, it's actually quite a possibility given the resentment that some people have for the, the new version of the wave plate right now. So, so do you take groups of, of, of people who are interested in seeing sharks out on tours or, or, you know, what's sort of your public interaction if someone is interested in getting into this world? Right. So at this point right now that I'm not running commercial trips. So I ran commercial trips up until like 2019 prior to COVID. Right. So uh, COVID was rough on shark diving, especially here. So in Rhode Island in particular, even after 10 years, almost 10 years, nine years of running trips, our local um, our local client base was very, very small. Most people are coming in from either around the country or in some cases around the globe. And being shut down for travel really hurt and uh we actually had a guy we worked with who ended up selling his boat and a lot wow. of other things but so at this point i um i still go out i still dive i but it's it's more of uh it's it's personal and for fun and um i'm getting my daughter into diving i've taken her shark diving a few times and um yeah i i think that the passion's still there for a uh for a commercial trip but it's um it's a lot of things to to set up that type of a trip. And uh, unfortunately the, um, the, the truth is, is not everybody is, is willing to take that risk with, um, 
with running that type of a business also. So sure. there's, there's just sort of different, you know. What have you noticed? Real life experience. Oh, totally. Yeah, I totally understood. What have you noticed in terms of there's been a lot of conversation with commercial fishermen around the wind turbines off of Block Island. And I've heard from different perspectives on this. Some people have said that, hey, look, you install wind turbines in Block Island Sound, all of a sudden you have an ecosystem that whether it's coral or I'm not actually, I don't know really scientifically what's happening there, but it's attracting um, species so actually, I've been underneath them. I, I was actually part of a project to photograph underneath them a couple of years after they were installed, and I've been underneath them several times. And they they, they definitely attract a lot of smaller fish life. So they, they start with like uh, your standard like plant mussels and, and barnacle type growth, and then uh, you'll have those smaller fish hanging around. But like even last summer, I was there. And uh, you see a lot of like scup and sea bass and bluefish and stuff. So there is a fair amount of life, but it's hard to say like in the grand scale what what the impact is. You know, I know that it's a hot topic right now. They're they're currently putting in a whole bunch of uh, new installations on an area called Cox's Ledge, and then there, there's been. Um, I don't know the real numbers to be perfectly honest, but what seems like an increase in whale deaths. So there are a lot of people who are correlating the two and, you know, time will tell what the real, the real deal is. It, it, it you know, we don't really know is the truth yeah. and then not everyone is willing to say that. Yeah. I, I think that's a really smart way to look at it because it's true. We don't really know. It's a brand new area and we'll find out maybe in a hundred years what the, what the overall impact is if we can measure it, but we won't, you know, we, we, we oftentimes frame this topic in a way that, Hey, well, this is, we're a hundred percent sure that everything's great or everything's problematic. And we'll have to right. say, what about the health of our oceans right now? It's such an important topic. We've, there's obviously a way more commercial traffic in terms of, um, cargo ships and things like that coming into, especially into New Jersey. They pass, relatively close in the global sense to Rhode Island, but the health of our oceans right now with runoff, with pollution, um, and, and just in general, what, what are you seeing when you go out there? Um, well, so since I've spent my whole life on the ocean, you, you see a few different things. So in the course of my commercial fishing days, I definitely saw a, a decline in the abundance of, of life and what we were seeing. And one of the things that struck me uh, most was uh, during my fishing time, we, we linked up with the University of Rhode Island and we did this, um, basically a bycatch eliminating trawl survey. And when we did that, we went to this closed area of George's Bank. That's a cod protected habitat that's been closed for many years. And I was overwhelmed by the abundance of life in there. Uh, huge, healthy fish, so many of them. And it kind of shows the impact that we're having, you know, uh, because you go to the areas where we normally work. And it's, it's just not like that. In fact, that area, the guys work the edges of that area and kind of catch the spillover. And, and it kind of shows you like what the fish life could be like if it was left alone, you know. And, and I'm a big fan of area closures, even if it's not a permanent closure. Even like so I'm passionate about sharks. Sharks are migratory. I think it's important to um, identify areas like ours where you, you have these aggregate sites where they're either feeding or breeding and put protections in place, even if they're only for a few months out of the year while the sharks are during, you know, during their mating phase or whatever it is. That, that's why the, the research is important, you know. Um, but in the long run, 
it, it's hard for one person to say what the health of the ocean is, you know, because I, I have my view here in Rhode Island and, you know, you go up around the Cape into the Gulf of Maine and it's different and you head down the coast to New Jersey and it's different and you go further south and it's different. So, you know, I, I can speak on the things that I see here. You know, I, I, I think that the protections that they've put on mako sharks in the last couple of years are starting to show some benefits. A few years ago, they increased the retention size. I think that brought some more of the smaller and medium-sized animals that we weren't seeing very many of because they're often being taken, that, that we're seeing a lot more of those. And then uh, they've had a complete moratorium for, uh, this will be the second year now. And um, I think that's gonna have a big impact also. You know, we, we don't see it right now, but in the years to come, I think we will. We, we saw the, the uh, increase in those small and medium-sized fish that we weren't seeing. And I don't have any reason to think that we won't see an increase from them, you know, not taking fish at all. I mean, yeah. Last question here, kind of going back to the license plate and your work right now. What's yep. what's next for you in terms of, you know, you've this is a major thing. I mean, obviously being on, on Shark Week on Discovery is is kind of major as well. Now you're on this license plate. You know, where do you see yourself going? What's your what's your sort of next uh, next goal? Um, well, to be honest, I, I, I don't really know, you know, after the, the shark trips, the, the actual charters stopped, I, I finally got to do sharks for myself for fun for the first time. And, uh, I'm kind of enjoying that. So I, I don't get out as often, but I go out and I get out with friends and I have a great time and, you know, I'm enjoying that right now. So if, uh, if a production opportunity or something like that comes along, I'd be happy to jump on that type of a thing. But in general, um, yeah, it's pretty good. I, I'm enjoying, uh, spending time with the family and, and doing sharks when I want to do it. And it's been pretty good. Brian Raymond, a, uh, <coughs> Charaho alum like myself and, you know, the person who has photographed well, you see, you're going to see those shark license plates all around the state. It's his image that's on there. I hope so.